0: This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM.
1: You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio.
0: Welcome back to this special episode of Women at Work. I'm Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, and today I'm happy to bring you another installment in our series, Reframe, Voices of Change. We're celebrating the bravery, creativity, and tenacity of the game-changing women in the entertainment industry. This is my conversation with Natasha Gregson-Wagner. We talked about her famous mother's life and legacy, and a documentary she co-produced called Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind.
1: Well, in 2015, I co-authored a coffee table book on my mom's life called *Reflections on a Legendary Life*. And Manoa Bowman, my co-author and I, we, as we were going through memorabilia storage, there was so much information there that we said, "Gosh, you know, we can't put it all in this in this book. We should make a documentary about her one day." And I'd never thought it would happen anytime soon. And then about a year later, he called me and said, I think I know the person that could direct the documentary. So I met with Laurent Buzereau and we then hooked up with Amblin Entertainment and then we pitched to HBO and they got on board. And so it happened actually pretty quickly in terms of, once we made the decision and then everybody got on board, you know, suddenly we were making the documentary and it was really exciting. Yeah. I'll
0: bet. One of the things that's so remarkable about the documentary is the way that you give us a story that we... You, you reframe the story for us mm-hmm. and help us understand your mom in a whole new way and also your experiences in wrestling with and making sense out of her death as yes. much as her life. Yes. Telling a story like that is so unusual in the media landscape that we live in. How did you conceive of it and protect it to get to the production stage?
1: Well, Laurent and I spoke a lot about what we wanted the story to be because there's so much, you know, it could have gone so many different directions, but we knew that we wanted the story to be about her not just as an actor but also as a as a human as a human you know she was such a force as a mother as a wife as a friend um and so that became our through line and and then as we started our interviews everybody was echoing the same the same things about my mom the same that I remembered as well and you know at a certain point in my In my adult life, I realized, wow, I'm walking around with a a feeling of who my mom was and what my childhood was that's very different from what everybody else is walking around because I knew her as this incredibly fierce woman, you know, who was the boss and you didn't (laughs) cross her and... And and yet she didn't rule with an iron fist, you know. She ruled very delicately, but it was, it was her way all the time. Um, and so it was very important to Laurent and myself to make sure that the story we were telling was, you know, she was so many things. I mean, she was beautiful and delicate and talented and vulnerable, but she was also tough as nails and really smart and a businesswoman And a champion of LGBTQ people. And, you know, very, very much it was so important to her mental health and making sure that if her friends needed it and couldn't afford it, she paid for it. She was so generous. Um, And with me and Courtney always talking, endlessly talking about our emotions, you know, talking it out all the time um and you know no who knew that about her so to, to I be certainly able to, didn't right so to be able to reframe this and and then also with everything that's gone on in the last couple of years about equal pay for women equal rights for women I mean this is she was dealing with that in so long ago she was taking on Jack Warner when she was in her
0: 20s so tell me more about that share with our listeners that part of the story
1: well so you know she was under contract at Warner Brothers and when you're under contract you're basically told you know what movies that you do and she was she had done Rubble Without a Cause and that had been a real moment in her career where she was like okay this is what it's like to be an actor this is the kind of actor I want to be And
0: how old was she? She was 16. She was really young because she had done Splendor in the Grass when at like 15? No, Splendor
1: was after. Was after.
0: So she was still... So,
1: So Rebel was the first film that really changed the trajectory of her career. And she wanted to do this film. She related to the character Judy and her parents didn't want her to do it but she told... But she was the boss, so she did it. And and just as a note, because mm-hmm.
0: most people, if they haven't seen the documentary, may not know this, but right. she started, and especially a whole new generation, she was a child actress. Right, that's and right. And her mother managed her career.
1: Yes, yes. So she, my mom started acting when she was five, and my grandma was her manager, I guess you could say. Um, and that was its own complicated relationship between my mom and my grandma, Um But so she, so she told Jack Warner, I'm not, I'm going to go on strike because I don't like the films that you're choosing for me. I want to be able to choose one film a year. That's, that's up to me.
0: Okay. So we have to pause for a moment because that alone is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. thing. It's not just, so here we have somebody standing up to the head of the studio. Yeah, The person standing up to the head of the studio is not just a woman. Some people might define her as a girl.
1: At 16. Well, she was older than 16, so she was probably, she was married to, or with my dad at that point, so she was probably 19. But still, unbelievably young. And my stepdad, Robert Wagner, was very much, and this is also rare in those days, but he championed her. He said, yeah, go for it, you know, stand up to him, don't work. So she didn't work for, I think, something like 18 months. And then she got the right to choose one film a year. And the film she just happened to choose was called West Side Story. Oh, that (laughs) little thing. (laughs) That little movie, you know. So she, she also had this uncanny ability to pick material that for some reason would be very, you know, like when she chose this film, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which was about analysis and group therapy and the change in relationships. I mean, it became this huge breakout success um, you know, she, she kind of had her finger on the pulse of what, what was going on in the world.
0: She really did, because that film at the time got a lot of attention for how it was telling the story about people exploring boundaries. hmm Yes. And the definition of what makes a marriage.
1: hmm Absolutely. With a
0: kind of confidence and a comfort with the subject matter that was really um, groundbreaking. Yeah,
1: and and as a woman, she was empowering herself, not putting herself in the role of a victim, you know, with what what the the couples were exploring. So a big part of what I
0: took away, aside from, I mean, each of these things is its own important story. Mm -hmm, (laughs) True. There were several other things that you shared with us about a family that seemed, A, really happy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And um if we remove celebrity mm-hmm. and affluence. Yeah, absolutely. Actually pretty normal. Yes, completely. And that like when you say my mom rolled the roost. Mm-hmm. I- Most moms do, right? <laughs> <our time. laughs> I rolled the roost in my house. <laughs> yeah. And that um it helped me see her. Um as, as a real as a working mother. Right in a in a whole different way.
1: She was and I think that that was also a big struggle for her, you know. She wanted you know, in the early years of my my childhood she didn't want to work because she felt like she had worked so much. And then she as Courtney and I were getting older around the time that she died, she was starting to get more into working again. She wanted to produce, she wanted to direct. She was going to be on stage in a production of Anastasia at the Amundsen in Los Angeles. I mean, she had a lot of plans, a lot of things that she wanted to do, but it was a juggling act, you know, because my stepdad was working and we were growing up, and, and I think so many women can relate to this, these feelings of like, it's I feel guilty, but I, to, I want to have time for myself. I want to have time for my marriage. I want to have time for my children. Were you in my work. head as I got on the <laughs> plane to come out here? Right? Yes. I mean, who isn't? I, I, I feel guilty being here and not being home with my daughter, you know, because I feel like it's just, it's a juggling act. And so people can relate. I think when people see the documentary, they'll be able to relate to themselves and her. And like you say, take away the fame or the affluence or whatever. I mean, she was just... And and she's also an immigrant's daughter, you know. Yeah. So she was, I mean, her parents they came here on a boat from China. I mean, they they you know they were living in um, San Francisco. It's 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 so an,
0: their immigration story is also its is own an amazing complex. Story. Oh yeah, interesting
1: thing. And she supported the family. At the age of twelve, my grandfather had his first heart attack, and my mom with her work was supported and for the rest of her life supported them you know as a child i saw my mom as powerful and beautiful and cozy um and the boss and then as i grew up and became a woman and then working on this documentary i i saw that she was navigating her life you know she was choosing okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to do this because I want to spend time with the kids here, but I do want to do this. I, a, a couple years ago, I was in a um, store getting a lampshade and this man <laughs> came up to me and he said, you know, I, I have a story to tell you about your mom. I was, your mom did a commercial for Rain Tree Cosmetics in the late seventies and She was on a horse and I was on a horse and we were on a hill and we were waiting for them to call action. And she said, you know, I'm doing this commercial for my daughters because I want to pay for their private school education. And that's why I'm doing this commercial. And he said, and she didn't know me. She didn't have to tell me this. But that was exactly who my mom was. I mean, she was a businesswoman. She understood that, how important education was and she was smart enough to think okay i have an opportunity to make some extra money to put away so that my daughters can get a good education you know so that was very much who she was and i i i really appreciated him telling me that story because um i owe so much to her in terms of her her foresight her forward thinking
0: so part of what this says to me is in, embedded in just this one story are a lot of different things about her. Her mm-hmm. openness mm-hmm. and willingness to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this core story of what she, that she was making sure she was mapping out a life for herself and for you. Yes. And for all of you in the family. Yes. In a very purposeful way. It also suggests something else um, that I hope you don't mind if we explore, which mm-hmm. is that you know here she is as a young woman standing up to a studio head right and we think uh, and she's so iconic that we equate that in an overly simplistic way with endless amounts of money oh right yeah and so part of what this suggests to me is that um, there was a purposeful way that she framed how you lived Mm -hmm. and how she worked in order to facilitate it but it raises the question for me of what were the financial realities of a woman who had been under studio contract Mm -hmm. who then stood up for herself and navigated her career outside of that studio system
1: absolutely and clearly the time that she went on strike for those 18 months she wasn't working so she wasn't making money I mean by the time my sister and I came along I think that she had had was in hopefully a stable financial position, but not to the point where she I mean, to the she had to make this commercial to put the money away so that my sister and I could have a private education, you know, and that was that was so much her business woman's mind thinking. And and um that's also in the documentary. There's that great photograph of her at the head of the table, a table like this. And she's the only woman, and all the men are surrounding her. They all worked for her.
0: I love that part of the big story here is that you were a happy family.
1: And they were, like, engaged parents, and we loved each other. And you, like, had to follow the rules and do your homework. Right, we had to do... Yes, I know, and I do want... And I talk about that a lot in my book, too, is just, like, that, you know, it was... Because my mom was on, on a set as a child, she really wanted my sister Courtney and I, to have as normal a childhood as possible, which we really truly did have. And I think it's what has sustained me certainly through her loss and and everything that came afterwards, you know, because the foundation was built in those early years and I uh, have used it as my springboard for my life.
0: So uh – I'm sharing the documentary with people because I feel like it gives us another role model. She clearly was that kind of role model Mm -hmm. for you. One of the other things that she did, especially um, in a prescient way, I think, was that we didn't know this part about her life and about your life growing up. So talk to me about what you saw and what you learned about how, as a working woman, you carved out what was private and what was public.
1: Mm. Well, so in those days, you know, the media wasn't as intense <laughs> as it is now. And so if we went out for dinner, you know, people would come up and they would be very respectful. Um, but sometimes they would come to the table and my mom would say, you know, we're having a family dinner tonight, so we're not going to be signing autographs. Or, But she was really and, – and but she didn't want – I mean, so she – I feel like they tread this really – and maybe it was from being raised in the studio system. They were incredibly gracious and elegant and yet protective and boundaryed. And so that's how I was raised. You T- know?
0: Tell me a little bit more, and especially for listeners who aren't... you know The studio system doesn't exist like it used to. Right. So in particular how what did they learn from the studio system that was at play there how what was that my dynamic? Pa- from
1: the, i think from the studio system my parents learned manners they learned respect all their friends were much older than them because they met they met them on movies you know they had tremendous regard for the actors and directors and writers and producers that they worked with and so they treated people with respect and kindness they wrote letters, they wrote thank you notes, they sent telegrams, you know, th- these kinds of novel things that don't <laughs> <crazy> happen today. <laughs> but so we we benefited from that, watching that kind of behavior. But I think also what both my parents learned from the studio system is that they were truly fans. They loved film. They loved storytelling. They loved actors, you know, and so they were just as happy to be a part of it as as the fans that were watching them, so there was, so it was really a nice. Um, it was a it was a really nice way to grow up. I have to say. It sounds
0: like it was a <laughs> yeah. wonderful, and I'm, and I, it was very. I was so moved um, by the whole story, and I was so glad that you had that kind of wonderful childhood, given the loss that you had.
1: Yeah, right. Thank you. I, I am too, and and I feel like it's it's what how come i have persevered you know because i had i had her and my both my dad's you know giving me that good solid love that that sent me on my way and is what i hope to give to my daughter and what why i why i'm making the why i made the documentary so that so that the legacy of my mom is clean and clear for my daughter so she doesn't have The burden of the noise that i've grown up with and then perhaps she'll want to tell a story about her grandma you know she'll want to maybe go into memorabilia storage one day and look at it and tell another version of this story of this grandma um of hers so yeah there's also your story oh yeah right
0: (laughs) (laughs) and one of the um as a person with a strong mom,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, sometimes we have to work to be our own people. That's very true. How did you figure out how to be yourself and find out who mm. you were, granted, nourished? Like your mom, it's mm-hmm. like, she. It's like um, I think about a bulb that you plant and it spreads and it grows roots and yeah, it puts out these beautiful yeah. flowers and she, you know, planted that bulb in you.
1: And me, yeah. But how
0: did you huh. wrestle with that? and figure out how to be your own person, if nothing else, with this
1: incredibly famous Mm -hmm. set of parents. It is hard to grow up with famous parents. And I have wrestled with it in just so that I didn't feel small, you know, with all this bigness that was around me. And I've had, I have been blessed in that I've I've got good radar about people. So I've picked really wonderful girlfriends and I've been in therapy and, but truly the the thing that I think grew me up the most was becoming a mom and, you know, and just, uh, I don't know. It healed me in a way that nothing else has healed me in my life. And so I have become, I have, I stand in my own shoes much more firmly now that I'm a mother and it's it's that is the reason I can tell this story before I don't think I could have you know because I can I can put it out there and let people react to it and respond to it and not feel like it's going to knock me over
0: how much of the way that that bolstered you was about the unconditional love that emerge that we get with or not from or towards with them
1: with our child. Yeah,
0: that that like intense love relationship. Oh my gosh. And, and it's yeah. And how, and how much of it is the way that we learn to
1: be in charge in a different way. Well, yeah. I think it's both, right? You can't believe your socks are knocked off by the love <laughs> you feel for your child. It literally knocks your socks off. You cannot believe it. And then you have to parent them, you know? <laughs> and so, so it's true. like, you are, you are, and, and that's how I am. I'm like blown away, blown sideways many times a day by how much I love my daughter. And then I'm also like, did you brush your teeth? We got to get your homework done. <laughs> you know, what? if you, if you get, if you ride your ripstick around our house, for one more minute we're going to be late to school. You know, it's like the, the boundaries and and so yes, and I and I remember that with my mom too. I hear her voice all the time in my head. You know, Natasha, we have to do this and we have to do this and and then the professional tone she would adopt if I was in trouble. Well, Natasha, I'll <laughs> tell you why it's not going to go this way. You know, and and and, and so it's it's kind of
0: funny that this love is is Possibly the greatest love we can ever know. And we can, yet it's not like romantic love. No. And with it comes this incredible clarity mm. about the importance of taking care of this person.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is the single most important thing in my life is to take care of my daughter and and to like grow, help her grow into a wonderful human that can survive with or without me and... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's seven and I'm figuring it all out. But, but I what I do feel that I have is the advantage of my mom's love. She loved. She knew how to love me and she knew how to um, mother me. And so now I know how to do that for my daughter. And I had to learn how to do it for myself. And that was the hardest part.
0: That was my interview with Natasha Gregson Wagner, recorded at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind, is now available to stream on Hulu if you have a subscription. Women at Work and the Wharton School collaborated on this series with Reframe, a partnership between the Sundance Institute and WIF Los Angeles. I'd like to thank my fellow producers, Allison Emilio, Patty Hall, and Valerie Locascio. Our interns, Sage Holt and Abby Nelson. Our sound engineers, Dion Simpkins and Chris Tooks. I'd also like to give special thanks to Angela Bostic, Scott Douglas, and Cade Massey for their ongoing support. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.